Welcome, everybody, once again to the Towards Wholeness podcast. My name is Richard Dahlstrom. I'm your host. Glad to be with you today. And we're continuing a series on the theme of calling. Uh, we spoke in our last podcast with my friend who's a harpist, and he talked about discovering his gifts and context, which determined his calling. There's a couple of YouTube videos on the same subject, uh, and you can find those on the Facebook page, Spirit, Soul, Body, Wholeness. And so those things are available. And today I have a couple of friends who are co-workers who are here with me to talk about calling in particular in the context in which they help people find the life for which they're created. And so I want to welcome Megan Dobraz and Kindy Easley, both of whom are certified facilitator coaches for Designing Your Life. Good to have both of you here. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. So uh, this phrase, Designing Your Life, is new to many people, I think. And yet for the two of you, it's now a phrase that's a significant part of your lives. Tell us what designing your life means, what it is, and how you got involved. I'd love to hear from both of you. Yeah, I'll start. Designing Your Life is a book. It came out of the D School in Stanford, written by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. And uh, they essentially created using their experience uh, created a way of really tangibly coming to next steps, uh, what they call these wicked problems, uh, mm. which can be anything. You know, mm -hmm. you get to define what a wicked problem is uh, and and provided some tools and really tangible ways, again, to take some next steps with a really low bar of success oh, nice. uh, and and make forward progress in whatever the defined problem would be. Cool. So, yeah, we came to it uh, actually through Kendi. Kendi read the book and I'm telling your story, but Kendi read the book and thought it would be more fun to do with others because mm -hmm. we all read the book and then don't do the practices no matter right. what book we're doing. Um, you say yeah. you're going to and then sometimes it's hard to go back. Uh, so she really last minute invited me and another one of our coworkers to go to a, a workshop with her. And it ended up being life changing. Like wow. turns out there were lots of wicked problems that I had just kind of put in the pocket of unsolvable okay. uh, that they gave tools to help solve. So it helped you personally? Oh, tremendously. Helps. Yeah. Like I would say I've used a lot of the framework uh, and, and I would say one of the biggest takeaways for me is this idea of reframing. Like, right. is it always a problem or is it just a problem right now? How can I look oh, at it different? Um, that sort of thing. That's yeah. been really helpful for me. Cool. Yeah. How about you, Kendi? How did this uh, connect with you? Well, I came to the book because I was looking for a way to really support the 20-somethings in my life who are looking for their calling, looking right. for their place in life. And I ran across this book, Designing Your Life, from the design school at Stanford. How can you go wrong? And uh, when I bought the book for myself to check it out, I then decided they all needed to receive it for Christmas. Mm. And wouldn't it be great if actually some of us who are further along in life actually took another look at where we were in life and what our calling was. So design thinking was really introduced to me through this designing your life approach. And after uh, participating in it and now becoming certified coaches, you find it's valuable for not just people in their 20s, but people our age mm -hmm. in, our, in our 60s? A hundred percent. And I think statistics and, and research shows that even if you sit, stay in the same job, you need to make some adjustments to that work to help it continue to be interesting to you maybe every six years. And I think there is a kind of a malaise that can seep in as well as what we've just been through 
in the COVID season of working at home, there'd be a lot of adjustments that people have been trying mm-hmm. to make and discernment about, is it the circumstances of their employment or is it actually that they want to change the trajectory of their career or is it time to really make a shift toward retirement or mm. being a stay-at-home parent? So all the different assessments of what helps one to thrive, um, especially in vocational work, cool. Design Your Life helps with that. How would the Designing Your Life paradigm speak to the great resignation? Like we've seen this mm-hmm. mass exodus from the workforce. And in fact, I just this morning have been dealing with a flight cancellation with Alaska Airlines mm. for a trip this weekend, this weekend, and right. it'll extend my stay in Southern California if I don't fix it. And when I call the airline, they go, we just don't have enough pilots and we don't have enough stewardesses. And After you wait on hold for seven hours. So yeah. they have to, I mean, there's a, it's a problem. How does what you're doing assess what's going on right now? Yeah, I would say that designing your life offers the idea of prototyping. Like, so before you make a ginormous decision, I'm quitting my job, I'm moving to San Francisco, whatever it is, the idea of trying that on for size in in some small way to see mm. if it's uh, the direction that I want to go in. Uh, and I think that that's helpful. My experience with my peers and those who I've interacted with vocationally, a lot of them felt reactionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do this anymore. I need to stop right. and ripcord it. One big dramatic change. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And maybe that's been building and we didn't know how to care for it up until then. And this just was the straw that broke the camel's or the hammer that broke the camel's (laughs) back. But yeah, I think that idea of trying something on before you put all your chips Mm -hmm. in can be really helpful in terms of not only the people you are interacting with, your your coworkers, your boss, your family, uh, your friends, but then also yourself of, is this, I think this is what I want to do. Am I sure? It's kind of like in, um, I did college work for a long time. And, you know, before I, you know, before people are like, I'm going to go to grad school, I'm like, ah, try being a vet tech before you go right, to veterinarian exactly. school and just oh, see yeah. if you like animals as much as yeah. you think you do. Right. Uh, and so this is kind of that idea, but on a smaller scale. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that perks my interest when I hear that you guys are doing this is the word design, Mm -hmm. because prior to going to the ministry, I was studying architecture and I love the design of physical space, but it feels very, design to me feels very uh, proactive. Like, okay, with physical space, here's a blank piece of paper and here's an environment. And I get to ask the, client what they need that we want this view here's the functions of the space and then i get to use my artistic sense to build but it all feels kind of proactive like i'm i'm the author but then theologically when i come to my own life i always have a different lens where i feel like i'm not the author of my own story i'm there's that old toby mac christian (laughs) song about the backseat driver i don't want to be the backseat driver you know and and I wonder, I wonder how what you're doing mm-hmm. interfaces with that theology of listening to the voice of my creator, believing that I'm uniquely called to something. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. As you were speaking, Richard, I was so reminded that there are some God-given aspects to calling and to who we are 
similar to architecture, you're putting that building onto a piece of property. Right. And yeah, there are certain things you can do to adjust. You know, yep. it's on a slope. You can decrease the the right. angle of the slope. Right. It's on the water. You can you can build as close to the water or far from the water. Yes. It's in a city. You know, yeah. there it's it's siblings, if you will. The buildings around it are right. impacting it. Right. And so I think there's a similar dynamic with human beings that mm-hmm. we have God given talents or inclinations. Mm -hmm. And certainly there's so much research around brain development and what leads someone to um, expand a gift and and what leads someone perhaps to set something aside. You know, so many times you hear of someone who's gifted in a physical way, whether it's playing a sport and mm-hmm. they play it and play it and play it. And there just comes a point where they're just done. Yep. You know, I've had enough right. of that. I want to kick another right. soccer ball. Right. I think even musicians, you yep. know, super talented people and can get to a place where they don't want to pick up that instrument or sit down right. at the piano. They're not, right. they're not cut out for practicing or right. someone with a gift of empathy. But when they sit there and they're a counselor for 10 hours a day, um, there comes a point <laughs> where yep. it's hard to keep listening That's and right. to keep optimistic and hopeful on another person's behalf. So right. I think we both have talents and we also have kind of a construction of, of our physical self, the way we yes. are in the world. We may yeah. be need to change activities a little more often, or right. we maybe uh, need a schedule that's a certain way. So mm-hmm. some of these things can be tweaked and and some of them, like going back to architecture, it's, it's not just a little remodel. It's right. really, let's start from the ground up. And I yep. think in this design process, what I love about it is it's inviting you to do that same kind of creative thinking about your own life. You know, what have you been given? You're born a certain with certain um, history. You're born yeah. into a certain family. You're born in a certain era. Yes. You have certain inclinations and gifts and you're af- affirmed and you right. go that direction. You're in a context, a community that certain things are affirmed. But mm-hmm. at any point in your life, you also have kind of a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. Yes, like that's right. Every day is a new morning. Yeah. And so how do you want to design even that day? What do you want that day to look like? Yeah. Um, what would some high points be mm-hmm. for you in that day? What would you look forward to in your day? And then if you just keep expanding that. You From know, day to week. To to, day, right. Exactly. To a decade. You know, yeah. pretty soon you've built something that, you know, you started with day one. Yes. And yet I think a lot of us can get, as Megan was saying, we get sort of stuck in, oh, this is who I am. This is the schooling I have. You know, this is my family background. These are my kind of stuck places. And we just continue in sort of a a maze or a wheel and we can't see that there could be a different way. Well, it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now and I wish I could remember the title, but I can't remember (laughs) the title. But uh, one of the studies in the book, it's on development. And it says that when people get to be 60, only 20% of people in their 60s kind of continue to grow. In other words, you get stuck in this kind of rut. And as I was reading it, I was thinking 60s. I know people in their 30s right. that are mm-hmm. that are stuck mm-hmm. and kind of living safely. And I guess I want to ask, why do you think people get stuck? Do they just yeah. think there's no other way? Right. Or is it fear? Yeah. What what creates the stuckness? Yeah. My therapist said one time uh, that... If you're not willing to try something new or be out of your comfort zone, your world will just get smaller and smaller mm. and smaller. And so I do think that that felt like an omen of like, okay, I'm going to try something crazy. Um, yeah. And I think that that for sure can be true. I I think also the design thinking of like the, the reason 
I, one of the reasons that I love the idea of design thinking is that it's creating something that's never existed before, which is all of our lives, right? right. Like right. there is no template Right. That I can put on the top, even though people keep telling you there's a template, right? Like yes. your parents tell you there's yeah. something, your professors tell you, right. you know, whatever. And so that idea of fighting that there's this template that's been told to me that does not really exist. And to live my life requires doing something very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and scary because it's never happened before, right? Right, right. And so that's, all, I mean, I think that can be a huge part of it, but I'd be curious if you had more to Absolutely. I agree with what you're saying. And I was thinking when, Richard, you brought up the great resignation, it's also been called the great realignment. Mm. And I wonder if some of what happened when people had a more interior experience and even maybe a more isolated experience was realizing that they had some values or some perspectives on their own life that weren't being represented in their daily life. And so there becomes a sense of, I've got to do some kind of radical change. Yes, And I actually think the design thinking process helps to shape that change. You know, yes, you want to make it, maybe you do need to make a radical change, but let's make a successful radical change. Like let's give it some thoughts. Let's plan, you know, in architecture, you don't just get out some materials and start hammering, you know, you build a plan. And so that's what this design thinking process helps to do. And there is even a book called designing your work life. So, so if you were to make a contrast between, you know, what is your life versus your work life, um, uh, this process involves thinking about kind of your whole life. How satisfied are you in your relationships and your love life? How satisfied are you with your health, your physical health? And how much is play a part of your life and kind of the wonder and the the joy and the avocations that you have. So sometimes if you think of it as a teeter-totter, like we put so much energy into our vocational life or what we're being paid for in our employment. And part of the reason that can become so dissatisfying is because there is nothing on the other end that's Mm. balancing out. So I know a lot of healthy people. I'm thinking of uh, one guy who's been teaching Sunday school here for 25 Mm -hmm. years. And I think his joy is often teaching those children in Sunday school. That's right. And his work life is an employment that absolutely brings in an income and has been very meaningful for him and creating things. But but they're they're really in balance in a in a in a special way. So that's right. You might be employed just to bring in a paycheck and make sure you have medical insurance. So employment doesn't need to carry all your hopes in life. But certainly it's a it's a sense of wanting to feel what God's called you to, whether it's something that you get paid for or something that you do by choice. Sometimes when I talk to people around these subjects, uh, I encourage them to make like a personal mission statement because when I was mentored, my mentor said to me, hey, begin with the end in mind. Like, mm-hmm. what do you what do you want to see on your tombstone? What do you want people to say at your funeral, et cetera, et cetera. And so I have on my refrigerator at home, you know, a mission statement. And every time I go to get some eggs and bacon, I see it there and it reminds me, oh yeah, this is really what I believe that I'm about. How does that kind of thinking interface with what you guys are doing? Yeah. One of the things we invite people to do is write uh, their work view and their life view Mm, uh, and making space to say, like, what do I value uh, in my work? What do I value in my life? There's space within when we've done workshops, there's space to see how are those coherent with each other and how are they coherent with the life that I now know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's a it's very similar right? to say, but I don't think I had ever thought of it like that before 
doing this? Like, right. what do I value in work? Right. Uh, besides what my family instilled in me and things like yes. that. Um, yeah. and, and that's hugely significant because I think many people are kind of, there's a cultural script that says the greatest value in work is your paycheck. Right. And then we all know people because we're pastors who behind the curtain are making plenty of money. Right. But are profoundly dissatisfied and they have to rethink that script and go, okay, the paycheck isn't the greatest right. thing. And that sounds like it's kind of where you take people. Yeah. I think too, it also creates a, you know, within the church, especially there's a hierarchy of help helping um, yes. vocations. Those are more Christ-like than, yeah, 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 than yeah. the number crunchers, which I don't think is true. Maybe and when you, when you get to personally look at what I value in work and go, oh man, this I really get to live out my values yeah. in this job that is just as valuable theologically, but doesn't yes. necessarily get represented yeah. as as much. Uh, then I think that has a, a ton of value to it. Well, it's interesting because when you say that, what where I went uh, in in response to the statement, "What do I value in my work?" I met with a vocational guy shortly after coming to Bethany twenty seven years ago because the first year was horrific for me. And I was like, do I really want to do this, you know? And this guy worked with me, and I uncovered this pattern, architecture, music composition, and church work. On the surface, seemed really random to me. But when I really did the work of thinking about what do I value in my work, it's the creating. Mm -hmm. And that's whether whether you're a, a composer or an architect, or it's Monday morning and you got to preach on Sunday, there's a blank piece of paper. and. Right. Nothing in the world energizes me more than a blank piece of paper and and creating. That's for me. That's more energizing than the camaraderie, or even the end product of a of a book or a song or a sermon. The creating is the best part of my world, and I'm so grateful to have discovered that. But it also, to your point, is like, hey, creating a sermon isn't holier than creating space to live in right. or creating a song or a, or a clean room or a or clean room a, or a, yeah. my, my kids who own bakeries and coffee shops mm -hmm. create baked goods and beautiful coffee. So helping people discover that is designing your life mm -hmm. essentially. So take me through the process a little bit. I know you guys offer a class here at Bethany Community Church toward this end. What does that look like? Uh, what are the steps that people would take? What are the desired outcomes? Right. I'm I'm with you, Richard, maybe using your example of you came to realize that there were aspects of being a pastor that you wondered, could you thrive in this environment? Right. And really, this process is similar to whatever led you to that aha of, oh, I love writing a sermon. Right. So it wasn't that you needed to change careers, it, that right. you needed to change the way you approached being a pastor. Correct. And I think this process and the workshop, if one were to read through the book and do all the exercises, mm -hmm. which as Megan said, I think uh, most of us are a lot more likely to do that with others. Yes. And that's really what the workshop helps to do. There are a lot of other aspects, including um, radical collaboration and getting feedback from others and kind of being stimulated 
stimulated in your thinking to think outside the box with other people and, and to be listened to along the way in the workshop with the hope that you will receive insights that would help you shape the life you you want. Mm. And whatever that mission statement is yeah. on your refrigerator, it sounds like you've had different resources that have added to Correct. your ability to, to design your life toward yeah. that end. Yeah. And so the intensive workshop is really intended to um, move right along. The activities are very fast paced and you're in an environment that is very highly collaborative with people who are not all from the same kind of background mm -hmm. and profession. And so that diversity brings something to it. And at the end, the hope is that you would end up with kind of three imaginary lives that you would be able to choose from. You'd see what oh, wow. some of the options are. Yes. You know, oh, I could go this direction, similar to where I've been, but even what it would look like. Or I could go this like modified direction, or there's a wild card direction. Like if I wasn't anything like what I've been before, what are those wild ideas mm. that maybe are just would love to be spoken from the back of your imagination mm. and uh, bring those into being? That's fantastic. Yeah. That sounds like a class I want to take. <laughs> well, I think you should. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it's very good. Another question that I have is when I look back on my own life, there's a Christian phrase that's often used called open doors, mm -hmm. right? And so in my own story, uh, Bethany was kind of this door that literally opened for me. It, I didn't even knock. It came knocking, and I felt almost, uh, in some spiritual sense, lassoed by God and reeled into this context of, of vocation. And then, along the way, over the past many years, there have been other doors that opened, and, and in prayer, I cut the rope and said, no, I'm not going to walk through. I'm not going to go do that thing. And there have been other times when I thought, oh, well, maybe I will do this thing. And then the door closed at the last second. Yeah. Uh, how did all that in my brain falls under the umbrella of context, right? Uh, and I've approached context rather passively, like, <laughs> okay, what comes my way? I call it the fall line in skiing. How does uh, design designing your life speak to context? I've, I mean, I think you can't think about your life outside of context, right? right. Like, because unless right. you're like, hey... We're all moving to yeah. Texas. No one gets a, gets a say. I think designing your life brings context partially through the lens of curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, hey, these people keep calling me. Like, right. why are they keep calling me? They're, yeah. they're lassoing me what's happening yeah. here. And sometimes you cut the rope and sometimes yeah. Yeah. you don't. And so I think there's one of, again, my favorite things. I know I have a lot of favorite things about designing your life, but the idea that everything can be on the table because nothing can hurt me, right? Like I just get right. to consciously choose or not choose. Right, right, right. And so with the context or it, within the context, like, okay, I can just be curious about this. W yes. What would that look like? And, you know, this idea of failing quickly, like yeah. if I prototype, it doesn't work. I go, whoops, nope. Yep. Like if I say yes to this job and can't find a house to live in, is the, did the door just close? Right, Like right, those right. sorts of things so yeah. that it can keep adjusting as you go. I go to, again, I'm thinking about the closed door. And if you were hoping to go through a door and it closes, I think the designing your life process would say, well, what was it about that door that you were so attracted mm, to? Mm -hmm. And is there anything like that? You know, what would yeah. be, what would be something that would be close? What could you prototype? 
In other words, there's no final no, yeah. really, or final yes. You're not trapped in something forever, right. nor is do you have to say, oh, that's not accessible to me. You know, yeah. I mean, what would a small step be to imagine that future that you wanted? And, yeah. and how might you create that? Yeah. And so my follow-up question is, again, around context. My experience in pastoral conversations with people is for some people, the word context is really a synonym for location. And they're like this, LA is off the table. I hate smog. I hate heat. Hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. No one's ever said yeah, that. Yeah, no one's yeah. ever said that. I will never go to LA or I'll never go to Oklahoma or uh, or I'll never go uh, whatever, where it's to someplace. So there's people who have this dogma that like preemptively shuts down potentially life-changing opportunities. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I think there are people who are completely passive, almost in what I would call a hyper-spiritual sense of saying, well, you know what, I'm just available right. to go anywhere the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow. And if that means I have to sell my house and live in a tent, then I'm going to do that. Where on the spectrum <laughs> should we be? Mm. You should be in community that can tell you where you are on the spectrum because they get to observe you in action. It's a good sure. word. Yeah. I was thinking of that Frederick Buechner quote, I think it is, that where your great joy and the world's great need mm -hmm. meets, Correct. Like yeah. that's a place of calling. Yeah. And so the person who's saying, hey, God, just I'll be happy to live in a tent. How are you going to discern if your calling is to live in a tent? Like, do you like living in tents? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I think God designs us in a way that we're to delight in life and God's yes. to delight in us. Yeah. So I think sometimes we, we imagine that something's more noble than something else. And, yes. and, that, and maybe God actually moves through the longings of our own heart. Yes. You know, if it's to grow an orchard, then maybe you want to live in the same place for 15 years because you want to Correct. see those trees bear yeah. fruit. Yeah. Or maybe it's you know, your starting point. I think the invitation would be to actually trust that God is at work in mm -hmm. your own soul and your own yeah. inclinations and in your own story. Yeah. You know, people are driven, I think, to provide healing to a place where they were hurt. Um, yes, that's we're right. driven to provide reconciliation to a place yeah. where we felt isolated or alienated. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you and I have talked a lot about like the brokenness that helps to shape yeah. our sense of calling. Yeah, so that's right. I think context maybe from a Christian perspective is just having a willingness to go where, where you are feeling called. So I'd yeah. want to really lean into that. And if you feel like you want to hike in the mountains every day, Great. That's a starting point for you. Yeah. How could I possibly build a life in yes. which I can hike in the mountains every day yeah. and yeah. and bring that to God and, you know, oh, say, please so. open some doors for me because yeah. this is my starting place. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. That's really yeah. Well said. Kind of leaning into your your own desires. And I would only add then and holding those intention with like all those crazy stories in the Bible where God says to Moses, hey, go to Egypt. And Moses is like this. Nah. I don't want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, and Jonah says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. And 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 then I go, yeah, but if you did go, you'd actually find it it's better than you think it would be mm -hmm. because your designer knows you better than you know right. yourself. Mm -hmm. And so retrospectively, you know, you if you fast forward to the Bible to Acts, Stephen in that sermon, he says, Moses was uniquely qualified mm -hmm. to speak truth to power in Egypt as no one else in the world right. could do. 
in my own story, I was like struggling with coming to Seattle because I didn't want to be urban. But it became apparent to me that I was kind of made for it. Mm-hmm. There's an REI culture. I'm a mountain guy. Mm-hmm. I love coffee. I, I love university students. And so there were a lot of things that aligned and some things that didn't. And then you weigh those, don't right, you? Right. And you go, okay, I don't want to be in a big urban setting, but I love college students. And if there's a city, I think I'm made more for Seattle mm-hmm. than Tulsa. <laughs> so here we go. Let's jump in. Mm-hmm. And it is a baby step, but you do it and then right. and then you see what happens. Well, and I like the idea that Kendi alluded to this earlier, like it's not for forever. And so you move here. Because you're going to give it a go. And, right, you know, six months later, you're like, I don't know. I'm going to finish it out for a year because I want it to look good on my resume. Yeah. And then we're out. It's like, okay. it, it's yeah. fine. Like, it's yeah. not a failure. It just was, Precisely. I tried it. And, and you learn in that. And that mm-hmm. refines your, your own growth and wisdom and totally. understanding of yourself and what you're made to do. Right. So uh, to kind of bring this full circle and kind of wind it up, uh, first of all, we'll put links on how to sign up for this class at Bethany in the in the podcast notes. So those who are listening, you'll be able to access the class that is offered. Also the other designing your life material. We'll yep. put notes in there so that you can access that. But for somebody who's listening, who is like this, yeah, I'm not ready to take the class, but I'm really interested. I want to, I want to start this journey. Like if you could offer a single next step to somebody who feels like they've plateaued or they're stuck mm-hmm. What would like that first step be for them? The first step would be kind of some reflection and say, what are the things that I've given up mm. on? Like that I've decided is a done deal. It's never going to happen or it's always going to be like this. So it feels insurmountable. It feels stale. It feels whatever. And begin, you know, this would take some bravery, but begin to like, be like, what, what would it like if I brought that back up mm. or if I started yeah. thinking, you know, being curious about it or thinking about it in different ways or inviting my community into that um, to see if there's anything in there that might bring some life to something that felt dead or um, hopeless or whatever. Because yeah. uh, I think that at least for me, once I was at the workshop and was like, wait, what? Like, hmm. this doesn't have to be the way that it is right now. Right. Uh, just ignited something in me in a really Oh, that's life-giving really cool. way that that felt great. So I would say kind of some curiosity around the things that feel currently dead, like closed, on the shelf. plateaued. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. On the shelf is a good way to say it. Yeah, good absolutely. Word. And I I think if that's like niggling in your mind, whether it's a disappointment that you could explore, or whether it's just a dream, maybe you've never spoken out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of my husband and I who've been married for decades, and somewhere along the way, we got asked a question. Like, what dream do you have that you've never said? And Mm. we took a walk in our neighborhood and each of us had things that we had never heard from the other. It's like, Mm. how could I not know this about you? Mm -hmm. So I think that's an encouragement I would say is explore in your own mind or heart. Are there stuck places? I'm just sick of being stuck. Or is there just a dream I've never actually given words to? Mm -hmm. And find somebody and share one or both of those things. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like uh, I've heard curiosity, mm-hmm. curious about your own story, things that have been put on the shelf, failures, successes, community. You've emphasized a couple times, Megan. Yeah. And and then I think courage as well mm-hmm. is an important piece of this. 
But uh, those three C's will stick with me from this conversation yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's good. I do think, I mean, as just as Kendi was talking about dreams that you don't say, like I was, courage is a really helpful thing to say because I think to it is almost better, feels sometimes better to hold that dream inside than to say it and then have it not mm-hmm. come to reality. Mm-hmm. And so that emphasis on courage yeah. Like pick someone safe and try it out, then something could happen, right? Right now, nothing's if, happening. If you don't name it, right. it'll just stay in the dark. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to both of you. I know you're both very busy at this season, but I'm grateful for the conversation. I'm enriched by it, and I know that the listeners will be enriched as well. Notes in the podcast uh, notes section for the class that's available and for designing your life material. Thanks again to both of you for being here. Yeah. We'll see you next time on Toward Wholeness. Bye-bye.